It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello to our listeners and uh, welcome to another edition of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. This podcast can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, and it also airs on Facebook and YouTube. Today, I have the pleasure um, of having with me Dr. Michael Lyles, um, who is a psychiatrist, and I'll let him introduce himself in a little bit, but we're going to be talking about depression and particularly the impact it has on our mental health. I'm sure it goes without saying with the times that we're in right now that depression is a very popular topic. So uh, what an appropriate time to be discussing this, this topic with our expert, Dr. Michael Lyles. Thank you so much for coming in the Time with Fred podcast today. Thank you for the invite. My pleasure. So Dr. Lyles, can you tell our listeners about uh, who you are, just a brief background about who you are, what you do, um, before we get into the topic for today. Okay, I'm a board certified psychiatrist from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I've been a psychiatrist since 1983. I've worked in a lot of different settings, hospitals, um, prisons, mental health centers, but have been in private practice since 1997 in my own practice. So treat a lot of people with depression, mood disorders, bipolar disorder, a wide variety of problems. Yeah. Yeah. I went to school at Michigan and trained at Duke for my psychiatry. And you also <clears throat> work with religious organizations and uh, some sports sports teams too, right? Oh, oh, over the years, I've been blessed to work with a number <clears throat> of churches, religious organizations. I've, I was a consultant to the Atlanta Hawks for a while, uh, helping them with their draft preparation. Uh, that's the only thing anybody ever wants to hear about, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and so whoever said that depression does not affect church folks is a big fat liar then, correct? Uh, the Billy Graham Crusades, uh, I, st- I consulted with them back in the 1980s. They have mental health people, at least they did back then, available because so many people would respond to the invitation with depression that they wanted to have mental health people available to help them uh, with the spiritual counseling along with the psychological counseling of people who may have even had suicidal thoughts. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's very, very, depression is very, very common in our society. Wow. So if, if I were to ask you, uh, Dr. Elias, to maybe explain what it is, right? Because this term is, is tossed around rather loosely. <clears throat> you might hear people say, you know, I'm depressed and all that. But when it comes to that topic of depression, well, what exactly does it mean to be depressed? Uh, it's being sad. Well, first of all, Everybody feels depressed from time to time. Uh, in the midst of this uh, coronavirus pandemic, a lot of people have been uh, depressed just because they've been cooped up and, and bored out of their mind. I was talking to my cousin driving home from work just before this, and uh, he's a cancer survivor who can't go out. Uh, and he's been in his house since March, uh, and it's getting to him. Yeah. Um, just a lack of access. He's a deacon at his church and they, they don't have services. They don't meet with anybody. So circumstances in life can make people feel sad, down, blue, and have a sense of loss. When we talk about clinical depression, we're talking about someone that can do that without there being a trigger, first of all. And uh, whether it's a trigger for it or not, uh, the depression becomes very overwhelming. It takes over their life and it becomes like right here in front of them. It's all they can see. 
and it's usually a sense of feeling down, low, blue, with a loss of interest in things that they used to do that gave them pleasure. Uh, they may have trouble sleeping, uh, usually waking up in the middle of the night, or sometimes people oversleep, trouble with their appetite, uh, trouble with all kind of pleasure drives, they just don't want to do anything, a sense of anxiety, a sense of helplessness, maybe even suicidal thoughts, uh, isolating from people. In a church setting, these are the people who are just disappeared from Bible study or disappeared from Sunday school or prayer meeting and you don't see them anymore. And you call them and they don't answer the phone. And when you see them, they don't have a whole lot to say. They keep it very brief and superficial uh, because behind that sadness is usually a sense of pain that's very tangible to the person going through it. So, so for a lot of folks who deal with these symptoms, like you rightly said, is this um, self-identifiable? If, if I'm experiencing these symptoms, can I tell that, that I'm, I'm depressed? Or does it take a specialist like yourself to diagnose that I'm going through depression? Well, most people who are going through this, they know that something's not right because they're not themselves. I was talking to somebody earlier today <clears throat> who initiated treatment about two months ago, and I said, are you yourself now? And she goes, for the first time in two years, I'm back. And her mother was with her and she said, yes, my daughter is back. Because everybody knows that something's wrong. They just don't know how to put the make of it, uh, how to conceptualize it. Because it's very important to realize that when you say that someone is depressed, uh, depression is a symptom, not a diagnosis. It's like saying someone has a headache. If I have a headache, it could be because I have a brain tumor, it could be because I'm in caffeine withdrawal. It could be because my dog uh, woke me up in the middle of the night and I'm sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. It could be because uh, I have diabetes. It could be because of a lot of things. A symptom does not predict causation. And a depressed mood, feeling down and low, does not always translate into a chemical imbalance in the brain. There are a number of medical problems that do it. There are nutritional problems that do it. Uh, sometimes there's situational things like we were talking about with the pandemic. Sometimes there's spiritual things. Many times Christians assume, like Job's friends, that somebody with depression has to have done something wrong, uh, some unconfessed sin to be in the shape they were in. And, uh, and that might be true, but it may not be true. And the most important thing to do is to listen to the person uh, to try to understand exactly what's going on. Hmm. Now, especially uh, talking about the pandemic, right, since this is, this is hot, this is something we're, we're all dealing with. I mean, what is the impact of what we're going through? How impactful is this to, to our health, especially? I mean, is there, is there any telltale signs we need to be looking out for, especially as far as the uh, pandemic is, is concerned? Well, the pandemic has done exactly, it's, it's a very fertile ground for depression because if you want somebody to be depressed and to develop any kind of form of depression, you need to isolate them, <clears throat> take them away from all the things that they usually do that's a source of support for them. Uh, like their church, like their friends. Uh, I, I deeply miss meeting with my buddies to have uh, a breakfast or a cup of coffee or uh, just to go do something fun, even if just go for a walk. Now people have become the enemy because they're the carrier potentially of the virus and everybody's socially distancing, yeah. which has turned into social isolation. Yeah. And the usual, in the words of one of my patients, the guardrails that kept me right in life, which were her 
her fellowship with her Christian friends, uh, going to her Bible study in her small group, attending worship service. All of that's online now. And she's right. not sharing air with another human being. Right. So that in and of itself puts people at risk. Right. And then the losses that people have had, watching loved ones get sick and go in the hospital. Uh, one of my patients, her sister got diagnosed with cancer, uh -huh. went in the hospital. She was not allowed to go in with her. Her sister died in the hospital with uh -huh. nobody there with her. People who have parents in nursing home and assisted living facilities that have died alone with them looking in windows because they couldn't go in. Um, those are losses. Well, another kind of loss, my, my son and his wife had a baby two weeks ago. Our third grandchild, first granddaughter. Congratulations. Yeah, but I had to get COVID tests. I, I could not see them. Wow. Uh, between March and now, I have not been in their house. Wow. Because I'm a risk to bring the virus in. Mm. Uh, and then once they had the baby, I had to get tested and quarantined until I get the results back before I could see my granddaughter for wow. the first time. Wow. Now, with my other kids, I was at the hospital when she gave birth. Yeah. You know, I mean, our lifestyles, what we do with our families and our loved ones and our friends have been disrupted by yeah. this. And it's so been very is, difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, this is definitely like a game changer then. And if if if, if the isolation, right, is, um, is a huge factor or contributive factor yes. uh, to what we're doing, then I would imagine that the, the cases of depression are, are going up, right, astronomically, right? Uh, the, there have been several studies that have been uh, going on since this uh, started that have shown that, yes, there is an increase in reports of depression, not just in people out there in the community, but in healthcare providers. Mm. It's very, you know, people that are working first, first responders are having a lot of trouble dealing with what they're seeing, seeing a lot of death, seeing a lot of sickness, dealing with family members that are very stressed out and yelling at them because they can't see their loved ones. They don't know what's going on with their loved ones. I remember when 9-11 occurred, uh, I was involved with some uh, uh, rescue. Well, uh, really, we were doing some uh, counseling of first responders about three weeks after 9-11 in New York. And the firemen and the police were talking about how hard it was to see what they were seeing. Mm. This reminds me of that, talking to people that are frontline in emergency rooms and ICUs, talking about what it's like to see this from a healthcare point of view. Wow. And mental health people to hear the, some of the dreadful stories we're hearing of people who, like I said, are losing loved ones uh, and, they, and they didn't get to be with them. Wow. So giving giving the challenge we currently have right with the isolation and all of that are there how do we manage this right so i i don't think we can totally eradicate because we're in this for a long haul we don't know when this thing is going to end but how do we then better take care of ourselves or manage you know uh depression if, if that's the case if, if anyone's dealing with it is there are there practice and practical ways from your perspective to to kind of manage this at all yeah, the key thing is to try to, uh, the good thing about medicine, when I taught medical school, I used to teach my medical students that good doctors don't clean up messes, mm -hmm. they avoid them. Mm -hmm. So the issue isn't, you know, we do need to know what to do if somebody's depressed, and we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the issue is how do you avoid getting mm -hmm. to that place in the first place? So that's where the money is, is what can you do to avoid it? And a lot of it has to do with your attitude and your mindset, and the rest mm -hmm. of it has to do with action. Attitude-wise, you can't just focus on everything you've lost. You can't just focus on how everything is different and, and, and whine and feel sorry for yourself about how uh, ain't it awful that I can't do this, that, and the other. Uh, because uh, the Bible says to be thankful 
for, uh, for you know for your situation. Yeah, and uh, things, to look yeah. for things to be grateful for, things to be thankful for. Look at how God has blessed you in the midst of all of this. Uh, to remember His blessings. So I encourage people to look for something positive in the midst of all of this. Uh, even though uh, I didn't, I, I don't get to see my grandkids as much. They're all healthy. They've all tested negative. And I have kids that work in uh, healthcare. They've all tested negative. Um, and I tell all my patients, tell me something that's going right about your situation. Tell me something that's been positive. Tell me something that really came through for you. Here in Atlanta, we had a young man whose bo both of his parents uh, died from, uh, he was a, he's a senior in high school. Both of his parents died from coronavirus two weeks wow. ago. Wow. And they started a GoFundMe page for him. And one of my patients today uh, knew the family. It was very sad about it, but uh, he said, you know what? They were trying to raise $150,000 for this young man who has no family now because he's about to go off to college with no support, nothing. And last time we checked, it was over $200,000. Wow. He says, people have just shown up and shown out yeah. and loving on this guy. And he says, in the midst of great tragedy, yeah. Yeah. you see people showing something yes. good. Yes. And you look for the blessing. Uh, you look for something good. And then you, and you don't get passive about it. You can say, oh, I can't see my friends. Well, yes, you can. You can go stand out in the driveway and yeah. talk to somebody. Yeah. Uh, I'm putting chairs out. And I'm setting up an entertainment area in my backyard, which is going to be a bunch of chairs mm -hmm. that are socially distanced so that my friends and my family can come over and we can sit out in my backyard. And if nothing else, we can eat hot dogs together yeah. and talk yeah. to each other 10 feet apart outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to wait for some restaurant to have seating on a patio. We can do it in my backyard. We can right. do it in my driveway. Right. You look for what you can do yeah. and you capture it. I, I love that, Dr. Luz, because oftentimes, you know, when we're going through, you know, the challenges in life, we, the focus is always all on the negative, right? It's, it's the yes. death toll. And, and we're not minimizing all of that. Those are real. But what you're saying is that in the midst, in spite of all that we're going through, we need to intentionally focus on the right things, the things that bring us joy. But <laughs> yeah, you, you talk about attitude here and mindset. And let me go, let me talk about the the church a little bit because I, you know, as, as, as faith people, it's 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 easy to you know to kind of explain this theologically. You know, this is what the scripture says. You know, to be thankful and all of that. But uh, research has shown that being being grateful or gratitude actually has some health health benefits. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's very true. It's very true. We we and that's something that we do with people whether they're Christian or not, uh, because it helps your immune system. We're talking about coronavirus, right? Being thankful, being positive, being grateful helps your immune system. When people get depressed and sad and anxious and stressed out, your immune system doesn't work as well. So that if you are exposed to coronavirus, you're already in a deficit situation to fight back. Uh, you're, you're a sitting target because your immune system isn't there to help you fight. So yes, these things, are, you know, truly I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the That's good. Right. That's right. That's right. Yes. You know, to take this uh, a step further, I was uh, in a meeting actually a little while ago with uh, a group of police officers and they're talking about uh, emotional health and its impact. And they're, you know, with given what they do and especially what's going on right now, they're, they're at a high risk. And there's always this misconception, right? That, you know, you can't allow yourself to be vulnerable, right? Because you're, you're the hero. You, you, you're supposed to fix stuff. And so there's a very high suicidal rate um, among police officers, but yes. more particularly also 
with men, right? We, we, we like to mask our emotions because we don't want to appear vulnerable. We don't want to appear as weak. And so we, we kind of bottle these things and it gets to a point where we can't take them anymore. Is there, how, why is that, especially for men? Cultural. Uh, if you're a strong man, you know, you're not supposed to be weak like that. One of my male patients made it, he, he was very, he summarized it very well. He says, when my wife gets upset, she gets depressed. He says, when I get upset, I get drunk and then I get even. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't got time to sit around being depressed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's interesting. But, but how, how do we change this construct, right? Or, or paradigm? Because you talk about, you know, how cultural is it? And, and I'm, you know, one of the police officers had mentioned that when he, you know, was going through, you know, some of the challenges and, and he went to talk to, uh, you know, his superiors and, you know, uh, they told him, no, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to, uh, you know, show your vulnerability. So uh, I think it makes it even more difficult when the expectation, right, coming from yeah. the folks who should help you are telling you, no, you're not allowed to because you're, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it has a negative impact to who you are and your job. How do we then navigate this rather uh, difficult conundrum, if I can put it that way, if, if the expectation is so high? Men have to be willing to uh, break the rules and talk about uh, what they're going through. If you get together, a lot of churches, if you go to the men's fellowship, uh, guys aren't really talking about what they're really struggling with. Nobody's talking about being, you know, feeling like a failure as a dad because your kid's acting out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, feeling like a failure as a husband because you just don't feel the same way about your wife. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, feeling uh, insecure and fearful because of your health or your finances or your job. You know, a lot of people putting on that false bravado and keeping it very superficial and not talking about what they're really going through. Um, and, if, and if more people would model that it's okay to talk about the struggles that you're going through in life. Because Jesus said, the last thing, I always tell my patients, when Jesus had his private time with his disciples before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. in John chapters 14 through 17, mm -hmm. uh, the end of John chapter 16, the last thing he said before he prayed for them in John chapter 17 was, in this world, mm -hmm. you will, you will, not might, you will have trials and tribulations. That's right. That's right. But be of good cheer. You know, own them. You're going to have them. Own them. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But you have to own them in order to get to that overcoming the world. And a lot of times we're just not honest with each other yeah. because we're taught that it's weakness to do yeah. that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you mentioned, um, you, you quote the scriptures. And, and as faith people, we, we've heard this, right? I mean, we know the scripture. We know what the Bible says that this is, we will experience the tribulations like you rightly said. But oftentimes when we go through them, the first thing, you know, we do is blame, why me, why me, why God, this is not fair, you know, what have I done wrong? So how do we then accept, right, that this is a reality, but all, at the same time, you know, um, just being hopeful, right? We know this is what the Bible says, we expect that this is going to happen, but how do we then also turn that around as faith people to make sure that we're not being beat down? We're not focusing so much on the negative because we're expecting it, right? How do we, right. how do we balance that out? Well, for one thing, expect it. When I first became a Christian, the person that, that led me to the Lord told me that I would have the abundant, he quoted John 10, 10 and said that I would have 
uh, the abundant life yeah. and that you know, I would not have any more problems right. and my life would be wonderful and <laughs> on and on and on and on and on. And the person that told me that uh, ended up being bipolar, had a manic episode and ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, he didn't tell me the whole story, but he told me it was partially true. In the midst of my problems and my struggles in life, I would have a peace that passed all understanding. And if it's done right, I would have other people to confess my faults one to another with, because that's what we're supposed to do is have people that we can be honest and real with to talk about what's going on, particularly men. Women do a good job of that. Men don't. Because men act like they've never watched porn in their life and they don't know anything about that. And it's the number one right. problem in Christian men, for example. Right. Uh, you know, the problems that we have, we don't, we're not real and honest with each other as men. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we, you know, if we do it right, we have a community of people that's there for each other. Uh, and that we're going to help each other through these difficult times. Uh, and like now, I have a friend that calls me up every single Friday to ask me how my week was. Uh, everybody needs that. Everybody needs that. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And the other thing you mentioned besides attitude, Dr. Lyles, you mentioned mindset. And this is huge. And this is really where this, you know, the theme of this podcast, this is, this is really what it's all about because we want to challenge those mindsets. But how, does, um, how important is mindset, right, when it comes to dealing with depression? And, and, and how do we even guard you know, the mind, so to speak. How, how do we even manage that? How important is that to us? Well, you have to ask the right questions. A few minutes ago, you said when thing, bad things happen to people, they go, why did this happen to me? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times there's no answer to that. Yeah. Job never got his right. answer to that right. question. He right. never did. But he didn't have to because he got to a place where he asked a question he could answer, which is, what can I learn from this? Mm. How can I grow from this? Mm. Uh, you know, he asked different questions. It wasn't why, but what can I learn? Mm. Uh, how can I grow from this? And he came to a place of realizing that he needed to get to a closer relationship with God that wasn't, that was not as superficial, but had more depth. And from all of that suffering, he got deeper in his relationship with God. Um, and that's something that can happen if we're asking the right questions. You know, who do I need to talk to about this? Um, not just why, 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 why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Water, I think it's Proverbs uh, 4.23, maybe, uh, that says, guard, guard your heart, mind, maybe, with all diligence, right? Because right. out of this flows the, the issues of life. What are some practical ways that we can guard uh, that mind or, or, be, or be mindful of some of these thoughts, right? Because, I mean, I've... I talk to people like, you know, it's just the, the thoughts just come into my mind and I just do. And the fact that something comes to your mind does not give you permission, right? If, you, if you're walking across the bridge and you're depressed and a thought hits you and, you know, tells you to jump over them. And we've seen people commit suicide, but how do we guard that mind of Lyle's way? Or, or is, that, is, that, is that a fair question? Well, in the, in the midst of this pandemic, there's one practical recommendation that the World Health Organization recommended. They said, please do not sit and listen to the news all day long. Mm -hmm. Please do not sit and look at social media all day long. Don't do Twitter and Facebook and, and, and listen to every negative thing that comes down the pike. Mm -hmm. the, World, the World Health Organization said to limit your exposure to media about politics, about the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, about all the racial, uh, uh, social justice mm -hmm. issues that are going on, to limit that to 10 minutes twice a day. 
Because if you go down that rabbit hole too deep by yourself, sitting in isolation, there's nothing at the end of it but anger, sadness, and being upset, which does not help you. Mm. Uh, but again, start asking the right kind of questions. You know, uh, what, what in scripture will help me with, with this? What have I been through in my past that has helped me through difficult times like this? Because when you're going through difficulty, for most of us, this is not your first rodeo. Right. You've been through difficult times before. Uh, in fact, usually, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that our difficulties are graded. You go through something that you can handle. Then you go through something more difficult that you can handle. Then you go through something more difficult that you can handle, but you're never thrown into something that is above what you're able to handle. Right. So look back. That's why they built, built uh, monuments in the Old Testament uh, when they would win wars and cross over into the promised land. Remember, how did God help me with this? Yeah. Who did God put in my life to help me with this? What scriptures helped me? What was a song that I that helped me? What was some music, some Christian music that may have helped me? Yeah. You know, look at the things that have helped you in the past, that God has used to help you in the past through these difficult times in your life, and use them now. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. And I was just uh, talking with a friend the other day, and um, she was telling me, that she had a she has a gratitude list, right? She has every morning, yes. and I'm not sure how she does this, but she writes down 100 things that she's grateful. 100, every, 100. Like, how do you do this? And she <laughs> told me, Fred, it's you know, oftentimes it's the things we take for granted, right? The ability to to breathe, to walk, you know, have a roof over your head, have friends. So she counts even the things we take for granted, and it was an eye opener for me because sometimes we think gratitude and we're looking for the big things, right? The car, the houses, and all of that. While those are great, she talks about stacking her wins, even from the very, very small things that we often take for granted. And I was like, wow, she taught me something. So I'll, you know, go on my walks, you know, every now and then in the morning and I'll, I'll do the same, you know, thank for the ability to walk, you know, to think, to see and all of that. So yeah, to I, see. Yeah, 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 right. Because it's become such a normal thing for us that we, we tend to gloss over it while we take it for granted because we expect that every morning we'll wake up and our eyes will open, but not everyone has it like that, right? So some of those minimal things, I, it, was, it was really uh, a teachable moment for me, for sure. So, yeah, yeah. I had a question yesterday. I was giving this talk on uh, managing emotions at um, a local university. And one of the questions that came uh, was from this widow who said, how do, we, how, how do I manage my emotions, especially in times like these when I don't, you know, I don't get any physical hugs. And so she stopped, right? We, we created to be social beings, right? And so she, she's, she doesn't have any of that. And she was like, how do I manage something like that? I can't hug anyone. I can't shake anyone. It's really hard for me. I, I'm sure, Dr. Chalaz, there, there are people out there, maybe someone listening who is, you know, dealing with the same thing. That social interaction is not there. And their, you know, the isolation, like you mentioned, is, is causing uh, such a great difficulty. How does one navigate that? It can, See, and to your point, right, you have a grandson that you haven't seen, you had a quarantine for four, it's, it's a difficult time, right? How, 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 do, how do folks manage that? Well, obviously, I was joking with you before we started that, you know, I've learned how to use Zoom. I used to think it was a noise a motorcycle made. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've learned what it really is. Uh, you know, again, use, uh, what did God say to Moses when he called him to lead? What do you have in your hands? What, what do you have in your hands? hands? Yeah. And he said, I just got a little, you know, so rusted out rod. He says, give it to me and yeah. it becomes the rod of God. You know, mm. look at what you have. Mm. Use the technology that you do have. And the other thing you have is a heart. 
a heart to be with people, a heart to uh, share life with people. Now, every, most people just think about that on the receiving end, that I'm not getting what I want for me. Well, the flip side of that is why can't you call up somebody and minister to somebody else? Sometimes in serving someone else, you get more out of it than the person you're trying to serve. I'm sure there are other widows that you can call. I'm sure there's some young people that you may know that you can call and encourage them by reaching out to try to serve somebody else. It takes the focus off of you. By reaching out and serving someone else, you begin to become aware of what you have that you've been blessed with. Um, and it just re, it reshuffles the whole situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. This is, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm getting a lot out of this. So as we, as we change gears a little bit here, there's a, there's a lot of research, actually. So I think it was one of the, the articles that you wrote, Dr. Lyles, that I was reading. Um, depression and mental health, what's, what's the correlation there? Uh, well, people who truly, as I was saying before, when people get severely depressed, they can't think straight. It clouds everything that we're talking about. If somebody's very, very depressed, they don't see uh, my glass here. They don't see the glass is half uh, empty or, or half full. They see fingerprints on the glass, and they say, "Why do I always get? Why do I always get the dirty glass?" Mm. They, they, they never make it to the water because their perception and view of things becomes so skewed and negative. Um, and it begins to affect everything that you think and how you relate to people, how you think about things and how you act. Um, I had a uh, patient who, when she got so depressed, all she did was stay in her bed all day long. Her mother came by to see her and she said she opened the door and she smelled her before she saw her because she was so non-functional. She had gotten that non-functional. Um, and, and it broke the woman's heart. It broke. And the thing that's so horrible about all this is that most of this stuff is very treatable, the stuff we can help people with. Uh, but they have to be evaluated properly and, uh, and properly. Wow, wow. So I, I um, and again, it comes down to that whole, you know, negative thing, right? I mean, they're, you know, you talk about mental health and it's, it's you know, people think you, you're crazy, right? But um, if someone is at that stage, right? And again, they associate with stigma, how do they, maybe open up to, to, to get the kind of help that they need, right? Again, it comes down to that whole, you know, we want to put up a facade, we want to put up a front, we want to appear that everything else is going well. Whereas it's not. How seriously should we take that, especially given how easy it is for, for this to cross over to, to, to extreme, to extreme uh, areas that we don't want to deal with? Find one person that you can be honest and real with. You don't have to find, it's like I was talking to this young lady and she was saying, I'll never find a husband. I said, you only need to find one guy. <laughs> if you stop worrying about it, if there's 50 of them out there, you only need one, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and you don't, you don't have to worry about telling everybody in your church and everybody in your, one person that you can be open and honest with, one person that you can tell your story to, one person that will pray with you, uh, one person that will come alongside you and be with you. One person that might go with you, the number one uh, people who treat depression in this country are not psychiatrists. Here's a quiz for you. Which specialty treats most of the people with depression in this country? Psychiatry is number three. Who's in number one and number two? Counselors, maybe? Now I'm talking medical, medical specialties. Which medical specialist do most people with depression go to? Psychiatrists are a distant third. Psychologists? 
internal medicine specialists, internal medicine, family medicine doctors, and number two, OBGYNs. Wow. I would have never guessed that one. That's right. <laughs> In other words, my point is that everybody assumes that if someone is depressed to any degree, the first thing you have to do is drag them to see somebody like me. And that's not true. The usual process by which people get help is they start off with a friend and that that person may take them to see a minister or someone uh, with spiritual authority. And then they may go see somebody in primary care or their OBGYN. And then they may go see a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist. It's way down the road before they come see somebody like me. And we only usually see the people who are very, very uh, ill or difficult to treat because they usually have gotten the help they need before they ever make it to us. So say, you know, if, 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 and I'll, I'll use myself, for example, like it comes down to, you know, managing, you know, emotions, managing stress. I was talking to this, um, another guy on a, on a different um, podcast and he was talking about his ex-military and he came out, of course, dealing with uh, PTSD and it got to a point where he was ready to take his life. Um, mm -hmm. He was concerned about opening up. Yeah, because he, you know, he'd been trained as a soldier, you know, you got to be a man, you got to be tough. And so he was bottling this uh, to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. And he was sharing with me that he had to let his wife in. And it was that time, the moment he allowed his wife to step in, uh, she was able to help him. You know, he was about to pop all these pills and just sure. end it. But by opening Wonderful. up. Yeah. That's one person. That's what I said. It doesn't have to be five or six. If you can, if people say, okay, if somebody's having suicidal thoughts and you talk to them about it, it's going to make them suicide. No. If somebody's having thoughts of suicide and you get them to talk to you and get and get the secret out of off their chest, it actually decreases their suicide risk. It's the secrets that we keep that destroy us. That's why the Bible says, be careful that your sins find you out. You need to have your problems out in the open where somebody can help you with it. It's when you own it and you confess it and you share it with one another that you can be healed. When you keep it and, and act like nothing's going on, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have those who are quick to say, look, I've been hurt before. You know, I trusted so-and-so in the past and they did me wrong. They did me dirty. So now I'm, I'm guarded. Uh, once bitten, twice shy. I'm not yeah. going to let anyone into my life. And yeah. so they're, 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 they're by themselves, right, on that, on that island by themselves. Now, yeah, someone who's been hurt, yeah, someone who's been hurt, you know, disappointed, maybe, you know, marriage, relationship, whatever, right? That's a challenge they're dealing with. How do they overcome that? How do they learn to open up again, given the fact that, you know, they've been hurt in the past and they don't trust anyone anymore these days? Well, first of all, um, I'm assuming that you're opening up to a safe person. Yeah. A safe person is someone who's not going to re-victimize you and, and, and do like Job's friend and made him feel worse. Yeah. Okay. Uh, someone who, uh, is going to listen. Someone who doesn't have a vested interest in, in the situation, they're only there to help you. They're not trying to make money off of you or take advantage of you, or they want something from you. They want nothing from you other than to help you. Somebody who will pray with you. Uh, someone who will keep what you say confidential. Um, safe people. And the church, okay, now, okay, now you're gonna get me started on a rant. <laughs> I've been a psychiatrist 37 years in practice. That's not including training, which was another four years, about 41. Well, really, 
and in medical school by another two more years. We'll just make it 43 years. Mm. I've been around people dealing with mental illness from church settings. The thing that upsets me the most is when they tell me there's nobody in their church they can talk to, that they've tried and either people didn't seem to be that interested. It was like, you know, I, I will anoint you with oil and pray for you. And mm. if you're not immediately healed, I'm, you know, it's obviously your problem. And next, <laughs> you know, but nobody's willing to sit there and go through it with them and, and, and be a consistent friend like the Holy Spirit is, mm. by the way, mm. in their lives. Uh, and that just upset because that's the only reason the church is here is for us to be here as a beacon of what Jesus looks like uh, to people who don't know him and to support and, and help each other get better to the people who do know him. Yeah. Yeah. And when people have to go to an AA meeting to get a hug because they can't get it at their church in their Sunday school class. But if somebody has to go to an AA meeting for somebody to listen to them and not judge them and yeah. just you know, give them a hug and yeah. say, you know, if, you, if you're having problems, you can call me up anytime I'm yeah. willing to listen. Yeah. You have to get that at an AA yeah. meeting because you can't get it at your church. I have heard that way too many times. It's the sad yeah. truth, Dr. Lyles, I mean, as faith people. And I, I mean, I mean I've, I've met people and not that that's a good justification, but who just wouldn't go to church uh, for those very same reasons. I've had people leave the church because they didn't feel welcome, because they were judged, because they felt ostracized, right? Whereas yeah. the opposite should, in fact, be true, right? And especially now, I think this is where the responsibility falls on the church to be rather more open you know to welcome because people are dealing with stuff it's not like people are i believe and i could be wrong that when someone's doing something wrong they know they're doing something wrong they don't need someone and that's not a way to that's not to say we shot <laughs> away from addressing the sin right but i i know that people know that they're doing something wrong and the last thing they want to hear is for someone to remind them right of their of their trials or their sins right um, but that's that's another topic for for another for another day. But 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 it's true. What you're saying is really true. And so they'd rather go to someone else and get the help, and then we wonder why the church is so empty, right? Because we're we're driving these folks away. Right. One of my doctor friends had an alcohol problem, and uh, for Christmas she gave me a nativity scene, and I said this was kind of an overtly Christian gift from you. I didn't know that uh, you had any kind of religious uh, leanings. And she goes, I don't go to church. I said, I know that. I said, what's up? And she goes, when I was drinking, I went to the Baptist church and they told me, stop drinking. And I went home and I tried to stop drinking and I got drunk and I didn't go back. So she said, I went to the Methodist church and they told me, stop drinking hard liquor, just drink wine. So I went home and I had two bottles of wine and got drunk. And I went to the Episcopal church and I said, I have an alcohol problem. I said, don't drink alone. Next time you want to drink, call me. I'll come drink with you. <laughs> and she said, then I went to an AA meeting and I said, I have an alcohol problem. And somebody hugged me and said, I'm going to be there and walk through this with you. And she mm. said, that became my church because I didn't feel loved mm. until I went there. And that's what she was supposed to get at church. Mm. Mm. And if the people listen to this, they don't get anything else. Be the change you want to see. Yeah, you know, that. don't sit around and wait for somebody else to, to make the first move. If you're in a church and you know your church isn't doing a good job of that, pray for God to show you one person yeah. that you can bless, yeah. that you can show what Jesus really looks like and feels like. So don't have to come see people like me, but somebody to listen to them. Okay? 
I got plenty of patience. In fact, I spoke to a group of pastors one time. I get, I can really get kind of agitated <laughs> talking about this because, I've, because I know the pain that goes, right. that happens right. as a result of this because I've been right. in rooms with people. And I told them, I said, if you guys keep acting like people don't have these problems, you're going to make me rich. <laughs> <laughs> because then they're going to keep coming to you, right? <laughs> yeah, because they're going to come to me instead of coming to the church. And I don't want, I don't, I, you know, they, they're supposed to be coming to the church right. to get right. some of the things they're having to go other places because they can't get it at their right. churches. Right, right. That's a wake-up call, really. That's that's a wake-up call for all of us. Uh, but man, this is great, Dr. Laz. I know we're, I want to be respectful of time here, but as we kind of bring this uh, to an end here, um, there's probably someone watching, or maybe listening to this podcast, who may be going through some challenging times. And I know we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, what to do and all of that, but if there is one word of encouragement that someone needs to hear, especially now, um, well, what would you say to that person right now? Don't suffer alone. Mm. The worst thing you can do is say, I don't have a problem and then sit down by yourself and try to act like nothing's going on. Mm. Find one person you can be honest with and ask, and, and then start the process of trying to get some help, but own the problem. Mm. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter where you come from. Most of us have problems with that and own the problem and give it to God mm. and ask for one person that can help you walk through this. Mm. Don't suffer alone. I, I love that. Dr. Laos, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing these health, you know, physical, and I guess, but also spiritual. And we're all spirit beings, right? Whether you're watching or listening to this and you're saying, well, you know, I don't believe I'm not a spiritual person. It's okay, but there are spiritual implications here that I believe can be applicable to you regardless of your religious background. So right. thank you again for coming on the podcast. I, I, I pray that this continues to uh, go well, that your, your family is well, and hopefully you get to see them very soon. But I appreciate you coming, and thanks to our listeners for, for tuning in as well. And until next time, stay well. Thank you.